listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. We're coming to the era of efficiency. Alibaba.com aims to help their users spend less and sell more. With better experiences, less time consuming, more reliable service to obtain higher quality and a variety of global sourcing, Alibaba.com makes global sourcing efficient and easy to use for any buyer, especially for small or medium-sized businesses. As a B2B global e-commerce platform, Alibaba.com provides a much easier, flexible, and efficient way for online retailers to source various products from global manufacturers and other types of suppliers. With suppliers, fulfillment services, and easy-to-use experiences improving continuously, Alibaba.com has been ready to be the new source of business success for online retailers. For more detailed info, please go check out Alibaba.com. And now, on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. Here is one of the most mind-blowing questions anyone has ever asked me. What year was Gandhi born in? What year was Gandhi born in? Now, that doesn't sound like a mind-blowing question. It actually just sounds like a regular trivia question. But for reasons you will understand in just a moment, this question is amazing because it forces us to reveal something about ourselves, something about our level of confidence in things that we may not know anything about that are so instructive that they can help us make better decisions in the future. I know, that is a lot. That is a lot to pack into one question about Gandhi, but it is true. And to understand it, to appreciate it, you first have to know about the guy who is asking the question. His name is Warren Hatch, and here's how he describes the work that he does. We work with clients to provide forecasts the best available to the questions that matter to them, the decisions that they are going to be making. That's what our business is really all about. Let me break that down. Warren is the CEO of a company called Good Judgment, and Good Judgment is a forecasting company. If you are in a particular line of business, if you're in an industry and you want to know what's going to be happening in the future, you have to make decisions now based on things that might happen later, well, you can go to Good Judgment and they will tell you what's going to happen, or at least what's likely to happen. And they are doing this thanks to a cohort of people that they call Super forecasters. Super forecasters are people who have been identified that have unbelievable abilities to look at data and to understand it and to make very accurate predictions off of it. And this all actually comes out of a research project. Before Good Judgment was a company, it was a research project. And they discovered that some people are just really damn good at this. So people will go. And they will forecast on dozens or hundreds, typically, of questions over at least a year. And then every year we'll go and invite not the top 2%, but more like the top 0.005% to come and join the professionals. 
Warren, by the way, was one of those people. He was and still is a super forecaster, though he has since become CEO of the company Good Judgment, which leaves him little time to do super forecasting. But anyway, I bet you're wondering, as I was, who are these people? Who are these super forecasters? They speak many languages. They are experts, typically in at least one domain area. About a third have at least one PhD. I have one only. And But what they all have in common is they are very good. They're experts at forecasting. Is being a super forecaster something that you think people are in some way born with? Or is this a skill somebody can learn? It's a bit of both. Ah, and this is the reason why I originally called Warren. Because I got to thinking, we are always in situations in which we have to make decisions. We are facing moments of change all the time. And even if we are aware that some change has to happen, right? It's it's like once you get past the point of resisting the change or worrying that you have to change, and then you say, okay, I, some change has to happen. I have to make some kind of decision. Well, then the next question is, what decision do I make? There are lots of options in front of me. There are lots of things that I could do in my business, in my life, whatever. How do I possibly decide? How do I look at all the options? And so I wanted to know from Warren how people learn to be really good at this. Are there skills that anybody can pick up to become better at looking at a series of options or a set of data and saying, this is the right one? This is the path that has the highest chance of success. And if so, how do you do that? On this episode of Problem Solvers, we will get some answers. And also, you will learn why that question about Gandhi, what year was Gandhi born in? Why that question can tell you so much. I should note that this episode is also the very first of an ongoing series that we are going to do on Problem Solvers called Future of Entrepreneurship. We're going to do it every month where we pick a subject that in some way or another focuses on the future, on building a more powerful future, and on understanding what is coming in the future. Okay, all coming up after the break. What's next? What if? Are we ready? Now what? These are questions that can keep founders up at night, and no one understands this quite like Silicon Valley Bank. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of high-growth companies by providing scalable financial solutions along with insights and expertise that many other banks just can't. From healthcare to hardware, software to infrastructure, Silicon Valley Bank works with companies across the innovation landscape at all stages of the journey, anticipating their needs before they do. And by providing access to insights and in-depth reports, SVB can help you make more informed decisions and assist in turning your great idea into a great business, which could be why 50% of U.S.-based venture-backed tech and life science companies bank with SVB. Will your business be next? Learn more at svb.com slash next. Silicon Valley Bank, built for what's next. All right, we are back. I am talking with Warren Hatch, CEO of Good Judgment, a company that turns to super forecasters 
to tell the future. And Warren, of course, was once one of those super forecasters. Now, we're going to pick up where Warren is explaining some of the findings that had come out of the original research project that then birthed Good Judgment, the company. And Warren says that at the very beginning, there were some very clear patterns of who was going to be good at forecasting and who was not. So they gave us tons of psychology tests and this and that and the other And we had to do them or else they wouldn't let us go do the fun stuff and forecast. So hours of tests. And then what they did was they, which characteristics subsequently correlated with forecast accuracy. And there are certain things that make some people just better out of the starting gates. Being good at pattern recognition is a big part of it. You know, filling in a mosaic faster than everybody else being open-minded. So many people, if they have a view of the world, they'll defend it to the death. They don't tend to make good forecasters, although they may be people who pose good questions. Being open-minded is another indicator that, and also being cognitive reflective, right? So this is uh, the comma in Daniel Kahneman's earlier book, Thinking Fast and Slow, right? You want to not read the first thing that pops into mind when you are presented with a new problem, You want to pause and ask yourself, is the most obvious answer the right answer? So be cognitive, reflective. And those are things you can test for. And some people do well on that. They tend to be better forecasters. But anybody, including people who do have these innate qualities, can become better with training, particularly to mitigate biases and identify and minimize noise. These are tools you can use, but what really matters is the practice. You got to go out and do it. It's one thing to read a book about playing a violin, quite another to actually do it. Not everyone gets to Carnegie Hall, but almost everyone can become a better violin player myself accepted. I've got zero talent, unfortunately. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I don't know that I've ever even touched one. Maybe maybe I'm a virtuoso. I suppose I should pick one up. So, okay, let's dig into the things that you think that anybody can get better at, right? I mean, I suppose there's some natural innate ability to be a better pattern recognizer, to be more open-minded is a hard thing probably to learn, although I suppose more people in this world should try. But let's talk about some of the things that you listed off that that you can cultivate more of. And the noise is an interesting one. Can you speak more to how to identify, how do you begin to sort through what is noise and what is not? So there are different kinds of noise and there are different ways you can deal with that noise. So for instance, in the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Pulling the crowd is the best way to become a millionaire. That gives you the right answer if you use up your lifeline 90 plus percent of the time. But what's going on there? You pull the audience and then you basically take uh, the average in effect what you're doing. And everyone in the audience, their views are normally distributed around the correct answer, right? So a lot of people are over here. You might be over here. I might be over there. And by taking the average, our randomness, our error, our noise is filtered out by taking a simple average. And that's one way to deal with noise. You pull the crowd, take the average. And that's a really effective way to get an estimate to be a billionaire. It's a great way to get an initial forecast. But that's where we start. That's our starting place. There are other things you can do to help improve noise reduction. One thing you can do 
is challenge yourself, right? So you may have a view in the morning that's different in the afternoon. So you could be noisy inside your own head. We can be noisy across with each other too. And what we can do is then compare notes. What is your reasoning? What is my reasoning? And we have an exchange of views. And we see if, well, what I was thinking was really important actually really isn't. Because you'll point out, ah, well, that's actually not a very useful piece of information. It does not have a track record correlating with the thing we're trying to understand. Or I might place a lot of weight on a particular view from a pundit or an expert, and you'll point out, well, they've been saying that for 20 years. And so I'll say, you know, you're right. Nuriel Rubini is a noise generator. I'm going to pay less attention to Nuriel Rubini and filter out that noise. And instead, we'll then, by the same process, be identifying the information that is useful and we'll be pooling the information because you might have a mosaic and I might have a mosaic and we both put it in and we both benefit from our exchange of views. Do you think that that can be applied to personal decisions? So you're you're doing things on a, a wide scale basis. People are coming to you for forecasting about industries and, and so on. Do you think that if somebody is trying to make a personal decision about what choice they should make. What is to be their future? I'm in a you know use case. I'm in a career and I don't know, it's kind of dead end and I have all these opportunities and I don't know which to pick. Or you could, you could go with my actual situation right now, which is that me and my family used to, my, my wife and I have two little boys. We lived in a small apartment in Brooklyn and we were very happy there. And then a pandemic came along. We moved in with my parents in Boulder, Colorado in this nice big house. And we have gone through the process of the last year or so of acclimating to like the kind of suburbs and a lot of space. And now we're, we have like absolutely no idea what to do with ourselves. Where do we live? What do we do? Uh, what's right for us. We have all these options and we can. I can tell you all the pros and cons of living in Brooklyn or living in, in Washington, D.C., where my wife would like to live or living in Boulder, where we are right now. And some of these justifications or these answers for pros and cons are, are, are probably noise, right? They're not actually all that important to larger questions about where we should live and what kind of choice we should make. And some of them are more important. And we have absolutely no idea how to start to divide these things up. So when I hear you talk about noise, very interesting, but I, I wonder how how personal you think that this kind of process can get for people. Well, if, if it's something you do, just like any skill, it becomes a part of who you are. And thinking probabilistically really is at the root what, what we're talking about here at an individual level. So when you're thinking about options in your life, rather than them being yes, no answers necessarily, you will think about them more probabilistically. So, and and more conditional as well. So, you know, more Bayesian even. So if you decided to move to Washington, D.C., what are some of the other conditional things that might go along with that is, is certainly the way I personally would be thinking about those kinds of decisions. And another thing that you can do is just like any forecasting process is, is write down your thinking, right? So you might today write down with your wife doing the same separately even, is write down almost the pros and cons of these things that you're thinking about doing. Let it sit, come back in a week and do another list of pros and cons without looking at the old one and now look at it and see how many of them overlap. Did some of the pros show up regularly or maybe some of them crossed over? That's one thing that you can do and then kind of discuss it out. And here's another thing too, that is really helpful both for thinking about the questions to be asking yourself, as well as the forecast that you would be making 
is this idea of a pre-mortem. So one of the really important things is when you make a forecast, you get an answer, you do a post-mortem. Now, it's not the best term, but the idea is you go back and you revisit your thinking. Were you right for the right reason or did you miss something? And that's the way you get feedback, right? But you can take that same process if you're thinking into the future and ask yourself, challenge yourself, if, if I make this decision and six months from now, I'm regretting it, why might it be? What is the thing I'll look back on and go, gee, I wish I had not missed that. And that can be a great way to help give definition to your thought process, as well as uncover perhaps some hidden assumptions that are going on that you can bring to light and think through more carefully. Does that kind of yeah, those are really those are really helpful. I mean, so here's it's very interesting because my wife and I, I don't mean to make this like a personal therapy session, but as a good example of of how to how to apply this stuff, my wife and I have talked about writing pro and con lists, but we we just thought, well, what a silly exercise, right? Like you always hear pro and con lists. Oh, write a pro and con list. I don't think I've ever actually written a pro and con list, but it just felt like, well, what are we going to do with it? We write it out and then we stare at it. But I like your idea of doing it over time and then comparing the two. You, if you've done this or you've seen this, those the pro and con lists really do change because, because they're based off of what just an individual happens to be thinking about in the moment? It might well do that. In a week's time, we'll let you see if some of the things you thought important a week ago are still important today or maybe other things because your back of your brain might be really rolling this over too. And to the degree that you got kind of extensive pro and con lists and like, half of the things that were on the first list are gone on the second, you might consider those things to be noise or at least to take a closer look and say, well, does that really matter? And the stuff that persists, well, maybe that's really what you want to be focusing on. I'm going to hit pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor. When we come back, I'm going to ask Warren about other ways that you can develop a super forecasting ability, and we will finally get to Gandhi. If you know anything about investing, you know that the traditional portfolio is dead. No longer are the days of your grandpa's 60-40 stock bond allocation. Now you need to be balancing real estate, crypto, options, and plenty of others. But here's one asset class that has stood the test of time for centuries, one that billionaires spend more money on than anything else. Over two-thirds of all billionaire collectors allocate 10 to 30% of their personal fortunes into it. It's blue chip art. But it's always been out of reach for everyday investors. That's all changed thanks to a recently enacted law. Now you can get portfolio exposure to multi-million dollar paintings by artists like Basquiat, Picasso, and Banksy without shelling out $20 million to buy the painting outright. Thanks to Masterworks, this $6 trillion opportunity is wide open to all Americans. They've got more than 200,000 members. Demand is exploding and their waitlist is crazy long. Lucky for you, Masterworks has given us 38 passes to let our listeners skip the line. If you want to secure your spot, go to masterworks.io slash solvers. That's masterworks.io slash solvers. We will see you there. See important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Sure. Well, so you can Google calibration quiz and you'll get a lot of examples. You can go to our website, our Good Judgment Open. We've got some there. You can take come to our workshops. And that's part of what we do. And people, oh my God. So here's an example. So what year was Gandhi born in? And I want you to give me two numbers 
representing your 10% confidence and your 90% confidence. <laughs> oh my God. And we'll do that across 10 questions. And you should get nine of them inside the range and one of them outside the range. So in the case of Gandhi, just you know, do a guess. What's the earliest you think he was born and, the, and what's the latest you think he was born representing your 90% and 10% confidence? I mean, this is so this is, makes me afraid that uh, this is being recorded because I feel like I don't know enough about Gandhi to have answered this question. So I guess I'm going to say the earliest he could have been born was like 1940. And what was the other part of that? The, the latest he would have been born. So the latest. Latest. 1955? Yeah. So it turns out he was born in 1869. <laughs> oh, I don't know anything about Gandhi. But here's I... the thing. So, so <laughs> that's okay. You don't need to say, I don't know, so I'm going to pass on it. What you do is go, okay, I tend to have my bands too narrow. I mean, that, that was 15 years. It was not yeah. my band. But I don't know anything about Gandhi. Right. That would be kind of a so you should want to have wider bands. Oh, this uh, is a very good point. Right. That's really interesting. Look what I just did. I didn't know the first thing about Gandhi. I have like a vague visual of Gandhi, but I I was I just really narrowed it in. I was afraid to be so damn broad. What I should have done is I was like, I don't know anything about Gandhi. The earliest that he was born was 1600, and the latest that he was born was 1980. Right? That's what I should have done. Why did I not do that? Because you were overconfident. <laughs> <laughs> but now you've learned. And the next time you're confronted with something, you'll go, you'll be cognitive reflective and you go, oh, you know what? Let me, I don't know that much. Let me widen my bands. What do I do? What's the value of widening my bands? I, this sounds like a stupid question, but why am I doing that? What we're really getting at is how sure are you about what you know, right? So it's not important that you know when Gandhi was born. What's important is to know how confident you should be in the knowledge you think you have. Because if you are overconfident in what you think you know, you're going to be making decisions informed by probabilities that are not going to align with reality. And they compound. So if you make a decision based, well, I know this, and then you make another decision based on that, because I know that, and so forth, you know, it's a geometric equation there, and you can find yourself really far out on a statistical limb, needlessly so. So the value is to slow yourself down so you can get to a better outcome. And once I'm able to do that, I, I can start to... Is it fair to say that once I'm widening my bands, I am also opening my, my mind up to more information to all the kinds of things that we had otherwise been talking about in this conversation, which is to say maybe I'm more open to what might be noise and what might not be, to learning from others, as you had suggested, you comparing notes and so on. This feels like almost a kind of foundational thing that I, I would need to go through or anybody would need to go through. I don't mean to make this about me. In order to be able to take in information that I might not have considered to be important information before. Is that fair? Exactly so. And it's okay to change your view as new information comes in. And it's okay to be wrong in inverted commas because probabilistically, you will from time to time be on the wrong side of maybe. And that's okay. And this is all part of the process in the way to get better at it is to learn these tools to have a process, to have a checklist. Everyone should have their own checklist and get feedback, right? So again, you got to play the violin and listen to see whether you know, you're, you're hitting all the right 
the right uh, the right march or not. Right. So I, I know you only have a minute or two. So let me just ask you this one final thing. So to that point about having to be wrong, that's an interesting thing to hear from someone who is in a career uh, premised on being right. And to be a super forecaster is to is to be right a lot more times than you're wrong. And I think that a lot of people are afraid of being wrong. I suppose. In a way, the reason why I had that narrow guess about Gandhi is because I didn't... To have said the earliest Gandhi was born is 1600 and the latest was 1980 was to admit uh, wrongness, right? I have absolutely no idea. And I, I just instinctively didn't want to do that. Can you speak to me just for a minute about the value of being wrong and what to do when you are? Well, thinking in terms of right and wrong is thinking in terms of a binary world where it's either yes or it's no. And... We're talking about a world of probabilities, like the weather. Are you going to say it's going to rain this afternoon with 100% certainty, or are you going to say probabilistically 90% chance of rain? And weather forecasters, by the way, are very well calibrated, just like super forecasters are, for the same reason they get lots of feedback. So in a world of probabilities, if we assign 90% estimates to 10 events, Nine of them should occur and one of them should not. So if we're thinking about right and wrong, if I say 90% and 10 of them occur, I am in that sense wrong. If nine of them occur and one of them does not, I am well calibrated and you can have a lot of confidence in the 90% probability estimate I provide you. And that was my conversation with Warren. The big takeaway for me came out of that Gandhi question, which is to widen our bands. You know, we often don't think of ourselves as if we are looking at things through a narrow lens, but we are, we so often are. And if we just step back and consider what we do not know, we will come to know so much more. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Problem Solvers wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Monday morning and you don't want to miss it. And hey, be kind. Pass the show along to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost. And did you solve a problem that would be good for this show? Let me know about it. Visit my website, jasonpfeiffer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, where you can find my contact information and all sorts of other valuable info. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for all all your entrepreneurship needs and even better subscribe to our magazine which is just full of the smartest entrepreneurs solving the toughest problems my name is jason pfeiffer the editor-in-chief of entrepreneur magazine thanks for listening and hey let's go solve some problems